It is a pleasure to be here. If you have not been a part of this missions conference, I just want to say you missed out. Uh, the church has done a great job of bringing very encouraging reports, um, exciting news of what God is doing around the world, and I'm, I'm just uh, thankful to be a part of that and to see what God is doing. I'm also thankful, I hear this is the second missions conference after taking a break for a few years, and I'm thankful to Pastor John and the elders for bringing this together and the missions committee for working on this, so saying we want to encourage our hearts with what God is doing around the world. Um, I want to come this morning, though, and ask a question. And to start with the, the concept of what makes a good life? Think about that for a minute. I think many of us as Christians might say something like this. I want my wife and I to be healthy. Uh, We'd like to have good friends around us and family. We'd like to be able to provide for our own needs and maybe to have a little bit of money left over to do other things that we'd like to do. We want our kids to do well and to be healthy and to prosper. And when that day comes, hopefully a long time from now, when I face death, I don't want to suffer and I want to die quietly in my sleep. That sounds like a reasonably good life. But I think if we think about it and we ask the question, what would a non-Christian say? I think often we'd have to go, it sure sounds like I want my wife and I to be healthy. I want to have good friends and family around me. I want my kids to do well and prosper. I want to be able to provide for my own needs and have a little bit of money left over, and someday when I die, I want to not suffer and go quietly in my sleep. We as Christians know that there should be something different about us. As followers of Christ, we ask that question, what does our Christianity do that makes our lives different, and how will we live out that impact day by day? The passage that we're looking at today is set in the middle of a conversation about stressing out about things, being anxious for things. And it says in that that we might have concerns about what we eat. We might have concerns about what we drink, concerns about what we put on, how long we will live, what will we put in our barns, what will we grow, what will we do for work, who will steal those things, what rust will do with those things. What tomorrow will bring? What treasures can we store up here on earth? And even in the end, will we live or die? In the middle of all that, Christians are, according to Scripture, giving a very different perspective. And we're going to be looking at that perspective this morning. But I also want to say that if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that this is going to be really strange to you to go, Wait a minute, all those things are important. What I eat, what I drink, what I wear, when I'm going to die, what my health is going to be like, what my work is. And and we understand that. But we encourage you this morning to listen to this message and begin to say there's something different about Christians. They have a different perspective on life. And I encourage you to turn to the king and follow him. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew, the sixth chapter, and we're considering one verse, verse 33, Matthew 6, 33. 
Um, I don't know your cultural, historical way of doing things, but in churches that I've been involved with, we ask you to stand out of reverence for God's word. So if you would, if you're able, and and you haven't gone too much up and down on those old knees of ours, uh, stand to hear the word of God. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends here this morning. I ask that you would bless them and keep them as we consider your word. We ask that you would apply it to our hearts, that we might see Jesus better, we might know Jesus better, and we might follow Jesus better. And we pray these things in his blessed and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. When we ask the question, what do we mean about the kingdom of God and to be a kingdom person? This verse is saying, instead of worrying about all those other things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, and being stressed about those, it's saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, there might be some amongst us that say, well, I know what that is. The kingdom of God, that's when you go to heaven and you die and you get angel wings and you sit on a cloud and you strum your harp. I don't know which hand you strum. Maybe it's both hands. And, and you sing and praise God forever. That's, that's the kingdom of God and righteousness. That's not quite what scripture teaches about the kingdom of God. Some might say the kingdom of God and his righteousness is about our own personal sanctification, that we come into right relationship with God, we hear the gospel, we grow more and more to honor him and live out his kingdom in our own lives, in our own development as Christians. It's that sanctification, personal holiness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is about me. Well, that's not quite a full biblical understanding either. That's in there, but that's not all there is. A third view might be that we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness Because we know that there is an issue of justice out there. And we want to see mercy done. And we want to see the right things done in this world. And we become justice warriors seeking to do good in the world around us. So we were driving up here. uh, We were listening to NPR. And they had an article about Haiti. And they actually described four different levels of hunger in the world. There's when people have hunger. There's when people have severe hunger, and then I forget how they describe the other two levels, but it's the first time in the the Western uh, Hemisphere that we have had a country that's gotten to the fourth level. And they were saying some high number of children in this one section of Haiti that are unable to get enough food to eat. We as Christians, we look at that and we go, that problem needs to be fixed. We care about that. We want to see the kingdom of God and his righteousness impact a terrible situation like that. But that's only a part of what it means to have the kingdom of God, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness in our lives. Jesus did not teach that the goal of history is for God's people to spend eternity enjoying themselves in heaven. Jesus did not teach that the goal of history is just my own personal redemption and holiness as an individual. Jesus did not teach that the goal of history is that we would all learn to get along and all injustices would be no more. But rather, Jesus taught that the goal of history is for God's will to be done on earth 
as it is already being done in the throne room of God. Uh, Matthew 5, the Lord's Prayer, teaches us this, and other places in Scripture point to this aspect of saying what we're looking forward to is not the sweet by and by, but what we're looking forward to is God's kingdom coming and being completely revealed here on earth. We know that the kingdom of God is important. The Old Testament talks about it in many different places. The kingdom of God is in the story of creation. The kingdom of God is in the early stories and the history of the kingdom of Israel as it points as an example to the ultimate kingdom. The kingdom of God is mentioned in the prophets. It's all through the Old Testament. The New Testament also teaches about the kingdom of God. Jesus mentions it many, many times. Paul and the other apostles teach about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Revelation shows us the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. But as we come to that, we need to then begin to say, okay, it's important, it's in scripture. But what does it mean? What is the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I would put forward that God's sovereign rule over all and our right relationship with him as our highest priority in life. If we are subjects of the kingdom of God and we are seeking his righteousness, then God is a ruler in our lives. He is our king, and we are part of the kingdom of God in this world now. And if we are to understand the kingdom of God, we must understand what it's like and how it works out in our own lives. Here's a few statements that might help us understand and begin to think, what is the kingdom of God like? It has come. It is here. But it also is still coming. It's shown today in the life of the church and will be perfectly expressed and experienced in the coming of Christ, his kingdom, his rule here on earth. The kingdom of God and his righteousness describes obedience to the will of God, both on the individual level, but also in the corporate body of the church. And one day, obedience to God in every single aspect of creation. This is a current reality. The kingdom of God is here today, but it will be seen more and more when obedience to God's will is a reality in all of creation. And that is when it is the opposite of selfishness, arrogance, human manipulation. It's seen when God's word is obeyed and the presence of God as seen through the Holy Spirit is revealed. There are no limits to the kingdom of God geographically. No limits politically, no limits culturally, no limits socially. His righteousness is everywhere and will be all the time. And we are instruments of the kingdom of God to extend his kingdom, his righteousness, and his will across the world. So simply put, the kingdom is an enterprise where the power of God is evident and the presence of God is experienced and the purposes of God are revealed. In the kingdom, we find something far superior to just our future fulfillment, the sweet by and by. In the kingdom of God, we have something far superior to my own personal fulfillment. We have found the heart of God for our world. We find our reason for being here. And from that, I realize and believe that the kingdom of God and its sheer immensity removes all limits on what God can do in and through us. Just think about that for a second. The kingdom of God 
and its sheer immensity over all, through all time, over all of creation, over all people, all cultures, all of everything through time. That sheer immensity removes the limits of what God can and will do in and through us. That means God's kingdom has no boundaries. God's kingdom is big and broad and beyond our wildest imaginations. Its fullness can never be obtained. The resources will never be depleted. Its season will never be over. When you're living in the kingdom of God, you have a purpose and a reason far beyond anything else in this life. God wants you to come and explore this exciting adventure. Maybe you're feeling empty right now, and you come to church because you're a little lost, and that's okay. God's kingdom finds growth in the hearts of those who are tired and spent. God's word is filled with examples of men and women who met God at their thirstiest moment, and God led them to streams of living water. It's never too late to think afresh about seeking out the kingdom of God. You're never too old. You're never too decrepit. You're never too unneeded. Just to illustrate this, my grandmother lived to be 102. And when she was 100 years old, she said to me, Andrew, I'm tired. I'm ready to go. And I said, Grandma, you can't go. Because she had always said, I'm staying alive. When she got past her husband dying and she lived 20 years beyond him, and she always said, I'm staying alive to pray for missionaries around the world. So, Grandma, you can't go yet. We need more people praying for missionaries. As she lay there in her bed, and she could hardly move once she got past 101, she hardly she didn't do much of anything but eat and sleep, um, but she prayed for missionaries. That was her purpose for the kingdom of God, to say she knew she had something to be doing for God's kingdom. But what does this mean for you in living out the kingdom of God and his righteousness in this world? First, I would say the kingdom of God is something that must be communicated. It's something that Jesus spent a lot of good time and energy saying that the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom, the teaching of his word was what the kingdom was about. Luke 8.1 says this. Soon afterwards, he was traveling from one town, one village to another, preaching and telling them the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus began his ministry with talking about the kingdom of God, Matthew 4, 17. He said, repent, and because the kingdom of heaven has come near. His ministry was spent proclaiming the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it ended, and in its ending, his ministry also was communicating the kingdom of God. And if you want to have your hearts ignited with the importance of what God is doing, ignite it with this, the message of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14 says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. This is one of the encouraging things, and if you miss this missions weekend, or if you weren't planning on coming to Sunday school, stay and be a part of that, because it's a chance to hear a testimony, as Jesus said, of what's happening with the kingdom of God to all the nations of the world. Come next year to the missions conference. But the kingdom also requires not only communication, it requires commitment and obedience and preparation. Jesus told a parable about uh, 10 bridesmaids. And you might remember this, but there were these 10 bridesmaids and they were waiting for the groom. Five of them 
had prepared ahead of time, and they had extra oil. Five of them had not. They had been foolish. And so as they waited and waited, and it got later in the day, the five that had not prepared ran out of oil, and they had to go off and find and buy oil, the story goes. But the five that had the extra oil with them and had prepared to say, I'm, I'm thinking about and preparing for and committed and seeking to, to obey the call and commitment of the kingdom, they had their oil and were ready when the groom showed up and, G and they went with him. Jesus tells us this is what the kingdom of God is like. Well, how do you work this out, this commitment to the kingdom of God on a day-by-day -day basis? I thought about that, and there's lots that can be said. As your Pastor John said, it's, it's discipleship and learning and growing as a Christian. But I wanted to bring one short piece from C.S. Lewis where he was talking about the problem of the Christian life and how to live out the Christian life. And he said this, the problem, the answer to the problem of the Christian life starts, in his mind, the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes, concerns, and hope for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job of every morning for him was to simply consider shoving them all back and listening to another voice, taking another point of view, letting a larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in to hear from the king. And so to do that all day long, standing back from your natural fussings and frettings and concerns and worries of this life that come out of you out of the whirlwind of life, but to consider what does the king want for me today? You may only do this in brief moments at first, but from those brief moments, you sort out a life that will spread throughout our system because we are now letting his word, his work, his spirit have uh, uh, to impact the right part of us. And, the and this is the difference in my mind between painting something and putting you know, a cover over top of it versus dying or staining something where you let it penetrate your life. And so I encourage you as you think about the kingdom of God and the requirement that it has that we commit, obey, and be prepared for it. Let that work its way into your life. Come be a part of Sunday school. Come be a part of the preaching of the word. Come be a part of the fellowship. And let that kingdom of God saturate you. But we also want to seek, realize that seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is costly. Matthew 13, 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's buried in a field, and a man found it and reburied it. And in his joy, he goes off and sells everything he has and buys that field. When you've received Jesus into your heart and he is the king of your life, are you willing to give up everything to serve him? Now, I'm not saying that you need to sell everything and become a hermit or to sell everything and move to the mission field, even though God might call you to that. But you do need to do what God's telling you to do. You do need to listen to your pastor and your elders and the challenges that they give you to do mercy, to do missions, to plant a church, to do other activities and say, how am I going to be involved in spending my time and my talents and my money to be about kingdom business? Do you spend your time at work and come home totally exhausted and say, I can't be involved in things of the kingdom because it has to be on the back burner for everything else I'm doing. 
Do you spend your time at leisure activities? Someone was describing to me this week uh, a, a community, a, a retirement community they had been in, and they said, all it was was about entertaining yourself. Is that what life is about? Is that what's important? Where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our talent? Where do we spend our time? Do we see it having an impact for the kingdom of God? I think this church is there. I'm not castigizing you on this. I'm trying to say, yes, please continue to do this. Please realize this. One example. Um, What are you calling the new church plant? Carolina Forest. This church, what did you get out of doing that? You didn't. You set aside your own needs and you said, wait a minute, there is a kingdom of God issue here. Let's buy some land. Let's hang on to it to the right day. Let's try to figure out how to get it ready. And there's been a lot of work, I think, being done on that to say, how do we get it ready to where we can go out there someday and plant and see another church planted? That's a kingdom of God mentality where you say, it's not about me. It's not about what I need, but how do we serve the kingdom of God? How do we take our treasures and, and find that hidden, hidden treasure of the kingdom of God and sell everything else in order to have it. This also happens where I work at Third Mill. Um, our, our founder, uh, Dr. Richard Pratt, uh, was a professor, and he often says it was the easiest job he ever had. He taught class two days a week, and he had the summers off, um, and he was well paid. But he looked at that and he said, what impact am I having for the kingdom of God? Can I spend my life greater for the kingdom of God? And he started going around the world and training people and doing training classes and trying to get other professors to go with him. And they would go to maybe Eastern Europe, but they wouldn't go to DR Congo. And they certainly weren't really excited about Haiti, and they weren't really excited about other places around the world. So coming out of that is why we started Third Mill, of saying we want to see the training of leaders for the church for the furthering of the kingdom of God, for the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Have you found a treasure in the kingdom of God that's more valuable than the other treasures that you now have in your possession? Are you willing to sell it all, to give it all, to claim the treasure of the kingdom of God? Are you willing to pay the cost that it takes to be a kingdom person? Because if you are, Jesus says, all these other things will be added unto you. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, what you do for work, what you have in your barns, what you have as far as a long and healthy life. God's kingdom is the only kingdom that will last forever. You will not stop it from growing. You can't make it grow. It's God's kingdom. He will make it grow. Everything God ha- everything that God has done, all the things that you've learned in the Bible, all the blessings that God has bestowed on his people, everything that God has blessed you with is intended for us to have a global and eternal impact. Does it make, mean that you have to change the way you think about what's truly important? I consider... I in, encourage you to consider that. What is your life about? Now, you may be here today and say, I'm overwhelmed with seeking those other things. I'm worried about my 401k. I'm worried about my grandchildren. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. But this passage says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.
Once again, that's not just personal righteousness. That's his righteousness in the world around us. And so when you're called to do mercy, do mercy. When you're called to plant a church, plant a church. When you're called to support missions, support missions. When you're called to be involved in discipleship, be discipled by your church and the leadership in your church. And all these other things will be added unto you. In the Old Testament, um, Solomon built the temple of God. And in that time, he had a dedication. I just want to point us to this dedication in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 8, 41 through 43. says this, For the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant, distant land because of your name, they will hear of your great name. They will hear of your mighty hand, your outstretched arm, and they will come and pray towards this temple. May you, O God, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all that the foreigner asked of you. Then all the peoples on earth will know your name. All the peoples on earth will fear you as your people Israel do and will know that this temple we have built is called by your name. Solomon was charging, speaking to God, but charging the people that the whole world should come and hear of God's glory. The whole world should come and hear of God's power. The whole world should know of his righteousness. Now, some of us, we were involved in world missions and we lived in Mexico and that was part of what God called us to. But God's called you here. How are you impacting your community? How are you living that out with the people around you? Imagine the nations running to the people of God. It's a wonderful image. Another image that's in scripture is that of a flower garden, as if we are a flower garden. And my wife and I walked out to see the community garden out here. But a flower garden, and you, pa- you pass by and you wonder, how did all the blooms happen that contain such beautiful color and fire? And, the, and scripture says in Isaiah 61, 11, this, For as the earth brings forth its growth, and as a garden enables what is sown, sown to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. That's what a missions conference is. It's going to look at this beautiful bouquet of what God has done. And when you go to Sunday school in a few minutes, you'll listen. Here's a beautiful bouquet of what God is doing before all the nations. But a garden doesn't sprout forth on any willful effort of its own. It's designed that way by God. He gave a purpose to the seed to go in the ground and spring forth and bear fruit. In that same way, God's people have been designed to display his righteousness, his will, his praise, his glory throughout the nations. We cause our Christian witness naturally to spring up from us. Listen to this next paragraph. This is God's heart. It's God's purpose that his kingdom people, his righteousness, his people have his name placed on them, 
He has given us his nature. He has given us his character. He's developing that uh, in us. And his name looks best on us, not only when we are worshiping him together here in our Christian circles, but also when we're shining the light of the gospel to those who would not necessarily come to him on their own. His name looks best on us. Not only when we worship, but when we're shining the light of the gospel on those who would not necessarily come to him on their own. So I end with this question. If all your friends, the people in your community, or even the world around you, what do they know of God? What do they see of him in you? What do they know of his glory? And how do they see that lived out in your life? And if you're a Christian here today, would they see and hear God and know his kingdom? Does your life reflect Jesus Christ? Are you a kingdom person who is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness? That works itself out in so many ways. And I can't tell you how that should work out in your own life. Your pastor and your elders will lead you in that. But you've got to go before the throne of God on your own and say, God, what would you have me to do? How would you have me today seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And I encourage you to do that because God will bless you. It may not look like what the world considers blessing, but God will bless you. I invite you to ask God to help you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy, your kindness, your goodness to us. We thank you that your word is clear and goes before us. Father, help us as your people to work out in our own lives in the quietness of our own hearts but also together as a church, together under the leadership that you've given here to say, God, what would you have us do? How do we seek first his righteousness? And Father, whether that's giving to missions or doing acts of mercy or working with the children or caring for the widow or feeding the hungry or caring for those in Ukraine and Russia far away from us, Father, may we know your kingdom, may we know your heart, may we know your glory 